Binge heads, alert the realm. Winter is coming and so is the full Binge Mode Game of Thrones archive exclusively on Spotify. That's right. You can find the complete Binge Mode Game of Thrones run as well as the Binge Mode Harry Potter, Binge Mode Star Wars, and Binge Mode Weekly seasons available to listen to for free exclusively on Spotify. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Warning! Binge Mode features adult content. Much like the show Game of Thrones, about which we are talking. If you watch Game of Thrones and you're fine with it, you'll probably be fine with this podcast. If not, the Ringer NBA show is very good. And now, Binge Mode. Hello, and welcome to Binge Mode. Yeah. The newest podcast from The Ringer. I am Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com, and joining me today... Hello. Now that he's finished beheading a deserter, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. You'll be a soldier. Jason. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's probably wondering what the hell Binge Mode is. Let's... Slap on our maester chains here and do some quick explaining. Okay, everyone. Binge Mode is The Ringer's new show focused on rewatching, deep diving into the television shows that obsess us, that thrill us, that we love, that we adore. There is a ton of amazing TV out there. You hear about it all the time, guys. Peak TV. And various Ringer staffers will talk about a lot of that in time. But Game of Thrones is one of the Ringer staff's sincerest shared passions. So naturally, we decided that to start this new podcasting journey, we had to set sail for Westeros. In the run-up to Game of Thrones Season 7 premiere on July 16th, Mal and I will be re-watching and discussing all six seasons of yes. Thrones that have aired to date, because we can't do the future ones without the help of Weirwood Tree, going episode by episode to relive and better understand one of the defining stories of our time. 60 episodes of Thrones, 60 episodes of this podcast. Yes! If you are a Thrones obsessive who recites your enemies' names each night before you go to sleep, Cersei, Elin Bane. This podcast is for you, and we hope that you'll rewatch the series along with us. If you're a Thrones newbie who feels really confused and slightly offended whenever someone shouts, it's just tits and dragons in the office, we hope that you'll allow us to guide you through this rich text and rich world. And guys, we will be dropping these one season at a time. So 10 episodes from season one, 10 episodes of this podcast from season one, right there in your feed. Then check back a week later for season two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, we should say there will be spoilers, both about the episode and the season that we're discussing at a given moment, and about the entire series of the show, end of the books, end of supplemental material, everything that's out there in the world. So guzzle some of Cersei's wine. Ooh. Booster your courage. We do not yet know, obviously, the full extent of what is going to happen in season seven and eight and how this series will ultimately end. I do. George might not know either. (laughs) He might not. That is a theory I have. But we will take the full context of what we do know from the shows and the books alike into account 
as we're binging, we're going to simultaneously live in the moment with these characters for as long as they're alive and reassess events with the benefit of hindsight in order to better understand this sprawling tale. So we don't want to spend more time in the preamble than the Rangers spent beyond the wall in the pilot. Without further ado, let's dive into Game of Thrones Season 1, Episode 1, the very aptly titled Winter is Coming. Winter is Coming! Jason, yeah. before we cut into the muttony meat of this first episode, Bloody tough. let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road. Sure. This is where every episode we are going to offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in that episode of Game of Thrones because these are very, very, very packed, very plot dense, a lot of information. Yes. And Winter is Coming, the series premiere, is particularly packed, introduces us to numerous key characters, locations, allegiances, fantastic beasts and where to find mm. them. Have I gotten my my fantasy <laughs> stories confused here? Start we'll us go. off. Start us off beyond the wall. Way up north. Beyond the Wall, a Night's Watch ranging party from Castle Black is destroyed by White Walkers. The lone survivor of the group flees south, makes it past the wall, and he's picked up by Ned Stark's men. Let's leave Westeros for a second and sail across the narrow sea to Essos, to Pentos in particular, where Viserys Targaryen, the last surviving male heir of House Targaryen, maybe has brokered a marriage deal mm. to sell his sister Daenerys to Khal Drogo in exchange for an army at the wedding. Not a dull affair. <laughs> Danny meets Jorah the Andal, my future <laughs> husband, and most crucially of yes. all, receives the gift of three dragon's eggs. In the north, at Winterfell, the seat of House Stark, the Starks find six Direwolf puppies. Five Aww. for Ned's trueborn children, Rob, Sansa, Arya, Bran, and Rickon, and one for John, the bastard. Ghosty. <laughs> After the mysterious death of John Aaron, the hand of the king down in King's Landing, Robert Baratheon, first of his name, is traveling up to Winterfell to offer the post to his old friend Ned. Cat's sister Lysa, who rules from the Eyrie in the Vale, sends a warning that the Lannisters murdered her husband John, and that Robert is endangered. Ned's sense of duty kicks in, and he takes the job. Cersei and Jamie Lannister, twin siblings, spend a lot of time worrying about John Aaron's death. I wonder why. Mm. Their brother, Tyrion, meanwhile, is too busy checking out the brothels of Winterfell. Oh, and by the way, Jamie pushes Bran out of a window after the climbing enthusiast catches twins Jamie and Cersei, making the beast with two backs. That's Shakespeare, kids. Look it up. Just totally chill, normal stuff. Normal stuff that you Slow-paced, see. Slow-paced, uneventful first sure. episode. Yeah. All right. That is actually quite a bit. Yeah. A very rich and fulfilling premiere. A great introduction to this world and the people in it. But, you know, we're like Jamie, bringing Tyrion the extra whores at the brothel. Yeah. We are aiming for efficiency. Okay? <laughs> and one of the most masterful things about Thrones is that in really in every episode yeah. of the show, there is some through line that unites many of the plot lines, many of the principal characters, no matter how far apart they may be in the actual physical landscape of the world. So on every episode of this podcast, one of the things that we're going to do is cut to the core of that big idea. We're going to stick it with the pointy end. And let's do it for this pilot. The defining theme, 
of this first episode of Winter is Coming is the weight of shared history. The shared ties that Mm -hmm. bind and repel these characters that inform, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, basically everything that they do. History is the real currency in this world. And as we're introduced to these characters, we come to know them and understand them by coming to understand how they relate to each other. When Game of Thrones starts, uh, it starts in media res, essentially. It's after Robert's Rebellion, the the war that Robert Baratheon fought that put him on the throne. It was over 19 years ago. And all these characters are dealing with the fallout in various ways that that we're just beginning to, to know. King Robert is a drunken and depressed mess who uh, is pining over uh, the love of his life, who is taken from him, the source of the war that we'll find out later. The Lannisters, Jamie Lannister, seems like a charming and handsome and mm-hmm. fun guy, but really he's, he's carrying this load of guilt and shame in a very specific way that no one can understand. He's called the Kingslayer for a reason, because he turned on the Mad King, stabbed in the, in the back against the vows that he had taken as a member of the Kingsguard. This marks him in ways that we're going to really explore as the season goes on. Ned Stark, after the war, he went home, brought a little bastard boy with him. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and has essentially uh, pursued an isolationist policy for the, for the last 19 years. He uh, was directly involved in, in events that shaped the realm, and since then he's just been hanging out in the North, not wanting to be involved. Why is that? We'll find out a little bit more later. Um, and this puts his, the, though his children don't know it, and though the Lannister children don't know it, they're all carrying this weight of the history that their parents took part in. Uh, there's Rob, who is a born military leader. Sansa, she uh, believes in fairy tales and wonderful princes and and flousy gowns and and the kind of realm as a celebrity affair. Arya uh, is a natural survivor. She is the tomboy of the group. And then there's Jon, who doesn't know where he stands in all of this, doesn't know um, who his mother is, doesn't know anything much about where he came from. And then there's Danny, who's dealing with the fact that her family ruled Westeros for 300 years and they're gone now. All there is is her and her brother and their quest to try and pick up the pieces. And her brother sucks. And her brother really sucks. You know, on the if we zoom in on yeah. the on the smaller interpersonal scale, in episode 1, we really see the weight of shared history playing out between so many of these people and places. You know, we see Cat and how she reacts instantly to the word from her her sister, right. the, the weight that that carries. Right, we see the way the Lannister siblings, all of them, <laughs> interact. We see, oh, do they interact? Why do they? We see the way Danny sort of relates to her brother, yeah. and the way her brother, really more than Danny at this point, relates to the idea of his family right. name. You know, we see uh, John really grappling instantly with the weight of the word bastard and right. what bastardhood really means in this world you know we see the way the northmen relate to the ways of the north our way is the old way yeah. a brother to the night's watch what does all this mean but we see it most in this episode and we will see it most throughout season one in the relationship between robert and ned yep. these two 
aren't brothers by blood, right? But they're they're brothers by choice, right. as they say to each other. They fostered together at the Erie under John Aaron. They fought two wars together, you know. And what's what's more, there was supposed to be a tie beyond that. Robert was supposed to marry Ned's sister, Liana. And when they go down to the crypts in Winterfell, Robert tells us this. He's saying this to Ned. He's saying this to us. We were meant to rule together. If your sister had lived, we would have been bound by blood. They were supposed to be formalizing the thing that they already felt. Maester Lewin has a crucial line a little bit later in the episode when Liza Aaron's letter has arrived and Kat and Ned and Lewin are sort of processing, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. What are the stakes? What is the obligation? What's right? What's safe? And Lewin says the king rode for a month to ask Ned to take the job. He's the only one he trusts. You swore the king an oath, my lord. Now, Robert is theoretically the most powerful man in the Seven Kingdoms, right? We know that in reality this is not the case, but theoretically, nominally. But in this moment, we come to understand that without his childhood BFF, he's— He's lost, he right? Sen- he senses, he himself senses the vulnerability of his position. He would be the first to say, like, yeah. I don't love my own brothers, right. right? He doesn't turn to his own blood brothers, Renly or Stannis, in this situation to ask one of them to be hand because he doesn't trust them. It's an interesting instant lesson for us as viewers or as readers that in this world with these people, shared history isn't always family history, but it can be stronger. Yeah. Than family history, right? It can mean more, as as Kat will sort of come to explain later. It can be stronger. It can last longer. She's talking about a marriage in that sense, but it applies to friendships mm-hmm. too, building it brick by brick over time. The idea of the oath also comes up here, and this will be a huge theme throughout the entire series. The idea that the oath is in some ways the heaviest and most powerful yeah. history of all, right? Characters they're not just tied to each other. They're really tied to convention, to what they expect right. or think other people expect of A them. A series of historical norms. Because to break an oath in this world is to court uh, the infamy of history. Right. You know, look as at Jamie. As we see with Jamie. As exactly. we see with Jamie. In 500 years, no one will know what kind of person Jamie was. What they'll know is... He killed the king when he shouldn't have, when he had sworn an oath to him. Um, And that history follows you. And these characters absolutely know that. They know that not just in their current lives, their legacies will stretch out far beyond their lifetime. Their, Their children and their grandchildren will deal with their ancestors, will know their ancestors by whatever nickname they've been given in this world. We haven't met Tywin yet, and we'll talk right. a lot about him in the coming episodes, so we won't go deep here. But legacy, the family name, yeah. it's what lives on when you're gone. Not everybody espouses that philosophy quite as often or as articulately as Tywin, but they're all aware of that reality, and it drives them. It informs their decisions, right? So one of the fascinating things, though, is seeing how that same understanding or the same bit of shared history can kind of pull people in different directions. You're not always united in your next course of action just because you were united by something in the past, right? So Robert says to Ned, you helped me win the Iron Throne. Now help me keep the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Their shared past for him, it's a forever bond, right? right? But then Kat, she is looking at this from an entirely different perspective. She says to Ned, you spent half 
his life fighting Robert's war. She's saying this to Lewin about Ned. Spent half his life fighting Robert's wars. He owes him nothing. Like, the debt has been paid. Right. This He doesn't need to pay it forward anymore. Right. The past does not need to inform the future. The past was enough, right? And Cat is also really worried about the history that preceded the rebellion even beyond just Ned and Robert. Cat, it's, it's, it's important to know that Cat was promised to Ned's older brother right. who died and whose death was one of the uh, one of the instigating factors of this war. So she's she's lived in on a very very personal level. And she says, "Your father and brother rode south once on a king's demand." She doesn't need to say much more than that. What happened after uh, Ned's father and brother rode south is they died. They never came back, uh, and thousands died with them. Um, history, brutally, too. Yeah, brutally. Uh, we'll find out a little bit more. We'll talk about it later, but. In a in brutal, shameful fashion. So history can be an obligatory force, but it can also be a cautionary tale and, and can um, ward people off of taking certain actions. Robert really uses his history with Ned like like his Warhammer, his right. famed Warhammer, right? right? He's oh gods, I was strong then. Just want to be clear, this podcast is <laughs> You know, in theory, we're talking to our bosses, talking to people's right, company. Right, right, yeah, right, sure. Right. We'll, we'll go deep. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk about theories. It'll be a place for people to come together right. and just discuss the thing they love. Really, the point is for Jason to make a lot of cum jokes and impersonate Robert and Mason. They never myself. tell you how they shit themselves. <laughs> and don't put that in the songs. That's sort of what we're all about here. But, um, you know, Cat is not subtle, but at least appealing to something more philosophical, right. emotional, logical. Robert is aggressive yeah he's he he can't act differently in this arena of his life he's a battering ram in everything exactly than he would in any other arena and it's all for him about how can i clear a path to my desired outcome right so what really connects robert and ned what puts him in this position of seeking ned's help because he doesn't trust anyone else it's liana the shared history between ned and robert and liana really propels even to this day everything that robert does right liana ned's sister should have been robert's bride it will be six seasons before we learn fully liana's connect spoiler warning guys liana's connection <laughs> to john but as robert grieves in front of her statue in the crypts we don't need all those details to understand the power that it still holds over him right the motivations from which basically Every major plot point on this show are going to unfurl are crystallized for us right here in the pilot, which is kind of incredible. You know, his grief over Liana's death twice tore the realm apart. It did it in the past. And the fact that he can't let it go and that it is poisoning Cersei yeah. against him is going to tear the realm apart again in the future. That's the story we're about to watch. And the other crucial thing here is that he still blames the Targaryens for robbing him of his life with Lyanna. He cannot let that go. And that grief and that rage, that desire for revenge, drives him still. He says, she belonged with me. In my dreams, I kill him every night. Who's the him? It's Rhaegar Targaryen, Viserys and Danny's older, dead brother, who Robert crushed at the Trident. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Okay, Jason, because 
so much of the story that we have now spent six seasons watching stems from an event that took place before the show begins. It's really imperative. You know, we're going to get a lot of this over time as we watch or as we read. But it's imperative that show viewers and podcast listeners alike familiarize themselves with Robert's Rebellion, with the war that thwarted the Targaryen dynasty, put Robert on the throne, and almost as importantly, put Cersei in Robert's bedchamber. So, Mm. Maester, if you'd be so kind, please assemble the conclave, take us to the Citadel, and teach us everything we need to know about this war and the events that caused it. So, Robert's Rebellion. Let's go back in time two decades before the events of the show, about 281 AC. AC stands for After Conquest, the conquest of Aegon Targaryen. So that means 281 years after the conquest. Um, Ares, the Mad King, a descendant of Aegon, has um, is ruling the country and is in a very bad way. He's progressed steadily into madness over the last several years of his life. This has led, uh, one of the bad outcomes of this is it led to a split with his hand, Tywin Lannister, the richest man in the realm, who uh, Ares felt was taking a little, maybe a little too much credit and maybe plotting against him. Um, as this, at, during this time, there is a tourney at Harrenhal thrown by, uh, thrown by Lord Went. Tourneys are interesting events in Westeros because there's really not a good way for high lords and ladies of the realm to all meet together in a way that seems not suspicious. Uh, let's say you're plotting, I don't know, the downfall of an insane king. Yeah. Uh, what's a good way to do it? How do you get, you can't trust this kind of information to crows, to letters, to ravens. You know, ravens can get shot down, secret codes can be broken. But if you all get together a tournament, maybe you can sneak away and discuss things. So that's the kind of context that this tournament takes place in. And those were the kind of whispers that were that were circling around this tournament because Lord Went, you see, he was offering prizes far in excess of those offered uh, by even Lord Tywin when he put on a tournament several years prior. Uh, Went didn't have that kind of cash lying around, so many assumed someone was bankrolling him. Who? Nobody knows. After this tournament, Rhaegar wins, and he offers this crown of flowers, the Queen of Love and Beauty Award, to Lyanna Stark, not his wife, betrothed to Robert Baratheon. This shocks the realm. Directly after that, Rhaegar kidnaps, absconds with, we don't know. Some heavy air quotes here, guys. Heavy air quotes. They disappear. Brandon Stark, older older brother of Ned, very upset about this. Mm. He rides from the tournament uh, to the Red Keep in King's Landing, the capital of Westeros, screaming, where's my sister? Let her go. Rhaegar, come out and die. Don't, by the way, don't scream that about the crown prince. That's stupid. Definitely, okay. definitely uh, Ned's sibling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Mad King. Just fully broadcasting Mad King your has, intentions. Mad King has Brandon seized. And when Rickard Stark, their father, comes to see about uh, him, they have them executed. The Mad King has them executed in the throne as a kind of uh, trial by combat, but fighting against fire. Right. House Targaryen's champion. That's right. Also, Rhaegar's not there, is he? No, where is he? Where's Rhaegar? No one knows. Hmm. He's somewhere. Hmm. The Mad King then sends word to John Aaron in the Vale. John Aaron is fostering two youngsters, although they're in their late teens at this time. 
Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark. Robert was betrothed to Lyanna, Ned Stark, brother Brandon. Obviously, Mad King does not want any loose ends around, doesn't want anybody to rise in, in rebellion against him. He says, John Aaron, send me their heads. John Aaron refuses. Here come the battles. Now the rebellion is on. Um, we'll talk later about the specific battles, but what ha- uh, over the course of this war, which Robert Baratheon absolutely executes brilliantly, shows himself to be a, a warrior par excellence, leader of men. People see him with his war hammer and they are just, they're thinking, God, God, <laughs> what a man this is. I will follow this man. He looks like a, doesn't he look like a king? Wow. Handsome too. Very Back handsome then. with that big bushy beard carrying the gigantic war hammer. At the Battle of the Trident, the turning point of the war, the ending point of the war, really, Robert, in single combat, slays Rhaegar Targaryen with his warhammer, crushing his crushing his, his breastplate, sending the rubies of, of Rhaegar's breastplate flying into the river. Ruby Ford. The Ruby Ford, will be, and it will be called the Ruby Ford for thereafter. Robert and his forces then start moving towards King Landing, King's Landing. Also moving towards King's Landing, Tywin Lannister, the, the former Hand of the King. He arrives at the gates. And the gates are open. We'll talk about why and how and what exactly went on when the gates were open. But you'd think, hey, the former hand of the king, he's here to help. Let's open the city to him. Guess what? Tywin Lannister doesn't pick the losing side in a war. No. No. He sees which way the wind is blowing. His forces sack King's Landing. Rape, destruction, wanton murder in the streets. Over the course of this, Jamie Lannister, the young Kingsguard, whose oath it is to guard Aerys's life, stabs him in the back. We will also explore this in, in detail later. And as Tywin's forces sweep into the Red Keep, a massacre, there's really no other word for it, takes place. The princess Elia, married to, to Rhaegar, and her children are killed. Elia is raped. The, the babe, uh, Aegon, is, has his head smashed against the wall. This is the Red Viper's sister. This is the Red Viper of Dorne's sister. We'll find out more about this in season four. And uh, just a disgraceful way to carry out this war. Ned arrives with his forces. He sees Jamie, bloody sword, sitting on the throne, the mad king at his feet, the Targaryen babes laid out, murdered, uh, and he thinks this has disgraced Robert's cause, and this causes some of the friction that we're going to see later between Ned and the Lannisters. Ned essentially leaves the field. Robert arrives. He needs to shore up uh, this tattered kingdom. How does he do that? We've got, okay, well, Tywin Lannister helped me out. He's the richest man in the realm. I need to get married pretty quickly here. Here comes Cersei Lannister, your new wife, cementing an alliance between the Stormlands and the Lannisters that will hold the kingdom together for more or less 19 years, sort of. And that leads us to where we are today. An unhappy King Robert in an unhappy marriage, drinking himself to death, whoring the the days away. Um, And now his friend and mentor, John Aaron, out of his life. And And he looks around and he thinks, my wife hates me. Her twin brother is my bodyguard. Tywin Lannister, influential powerful is looming somewhere out there who can i trust what i I, i'm sitting in the red keep and i trust no one uh grandmeister picel is the one who convinced the mad king to open the gates to tywin lannister and he's my main advisor i need my good friend i need my my brother i need ned stark as illuminating as it truly is to 
channel our inner Sams and dive into the tomes with mm. you. Not everything in this episode or in any episode of Game of Thrones text. connects to one key idea. It is right. indeed a sprawling text. So we we are like Robert around the kitchen witches, hey. you know. We don't want to miss a single drop of goodness. <laughs> so each episode of Binge Mode, we are going to head to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights, observations, hindsight, nuggets, whatever it might be, just things that seem cool and interesting to us yeah. from each episode. And we're going to do it lightning round style. And the first thing that stood out to me rewatching this pilot is how much of what's in here really feels like a Cliff's Notes for the entire series. You know, there's a lot in here of what is going to be important, what is yes. going to matter. And one of those instances is the stag and the wolf sigil scene, right? Yeah. The the Stark family coming back from Ned, beheading the deserter, and the boys come across a dead dire wolf, a freak, Theon says. Not seen for untold centuries. Why is the dire wolf here at all? South what, of the wall, even. What, Why? what killed it? Well, yeah. oh, funny you should ask. There's an antler. Lodge within and right around the bend, a dead stag. So what is this? A stag and a wolf. These are the sigils of House Baratheon and House Stark, of Ned and of Robert, the yep. two characters who carry this episode and much of this season. The symbolism here is really powerful. These two are supposed to be brothers by choice, right. dear friends, allies, coming together now to solve their own problems and hopefully heal the realm and what do the characters see in front of them? A stag and a wolf tearing each other apart, yeah. bringing each other down, literally dead on the ground. But one of the really, really cool little wrinkles here is that even from death can come life. Because shortly after stumbling across this, this sign, which, by the way, in the books, Cat is disturbed by right. it. She knows. She's she's perceiving she this the same way that it. we as viewers are. This is a sign. This is something to be wary of. Life. New direwolf puppies, furry cuddles, <laughs> smiles and goodness brought back into the world. Number two, thematic development everywhere in this episode. Uh, the name of this series is called The Song of Ice and Fire, the books. And what do we see? Open the episode, the White Walkers, the ice in this case. And then across the narrow sea, we have the fire, the uh, the Targaryens trying to raise themselves up um, back into a force in the world. When Viserys says to Daenerys, when they write the history of my reign, sweet sister, they will say it began today. Uh, he's almost comically wrong, but he's also right about someone. If they do write songs about this period, it will be about Danny's reign. And look at her when she gets into that scalding hot bath. She doesn't even feel it. That's the fire. It's really creepy how Viserys calls her sweet sister. Yeah, it's not good. Just, just. Uh, well, you know that that whole family's got a weird. That's true. Got a weird sibling thing going on. Uh, they're not the only family that has a weird sibling. No, thing but going you on. know, it's like at least at least the Lannisters have the dignity to keep it quiet <laughs> for now. For now. Speaking of the Lannisters, number three, when Robert and his royal party arrive at Winterfell, we should be seeing Robert's sigil, the Baratheon banners, but. Yeah. We see only Lannister banners. Dun, dun, dun. This is not the case in the books. It is the case on the show because the show is making a deliberate choice to clearly signal to viewers this 
is the family in charge. This is the threat. This is who you should be watching. Number four. Lysa's letter to her sister Kat talking about John Aaron's death and warning about nefarious goings on and uh, fear for Robert's life uh, is evidence, although we haven't met this character yet, of Littlefinger's behind-the-scenes string pulling. Um, and it's something that is not obvious at all the first time you watch the show. But on, on re-watching, which is what we're doing now, uh, it becomes really important. He's there even before he's there, guys. Yep. Number five. Our first, we have a lot of fitting character introductions in this premiere. And one of the most fitting is our introduction to Arya, who is practicing her needlework, right? She's <laughs> sewing. She hates it. Yeah. And this needlework, her resentment over the, the positive praise that Sansa will get for her needlework and the, the just scorn and ridicule that Arya always gets from September Dane for hers. This is part of what inspires her to later name her sword Needle. Number six, when Robert meets the Stark family and he meets Bran, he says to the young boy, what's your name? Bran, you'll be a soldier. And it's a heartbreaking line because it hints at Bran's unconventional role in the story. Bran would like nothing more than to be a knight riding a horse, wielding a sword, and wearing the shiny armor. Um, he's not going to get to do that, but he's going to get to do something much more interesting. And lastly, number seven, yeah, is just a reminder that this is, in many ways, a specific and unique an unrivaled story, but it is also, and we mean this as a compliment, similar to all great fantasy lore yes. in the sense that it is ultimately a story about the little guy. You know, at the, the beginning of the episode when Waymar Royce is mocking his brothers right. beyond the wall and he's saying, you know, Will says, they even killed the children. Yeah. And Royce says, it's a good thing we aren't children. Well, like that kind of attitude very right. quickly is followed by his own death, right? It's a Tolkien idea. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. And we really see it in this episode when Tyrion and Jon are talking, you know, neither of them are at the feast, right? right. They're, they're cast-offs, outsiders for different reasons. But Tyrion says to Jon, this is our first interaction, and he gives him advice that will stay with Jon forever, and I think that stays with us as viewers for, for the rest of the story. Let me give you some advice, bastard. Never forget what you are. The rest of the world will not. Wear it like armor, and it can never be used to hurt you. You know, in a lot of ways, Game of Thrones seems like it's a story about glory, about power. Mm -hmm. But right away, the show is priming us to understand that it's really a story about the episode four title, Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. Not... Every broken thing is as adept at making moves, though. So each episode, one of the things that we're going to do is honor the person or persons or creatures who played the game, who advanced his or her cause in some tangible way, however subtle. Maybe they made a real power move. Maybe they just did something dope. Maybe they finally fucked in a cave. Yeah. Who knows? We will not necessarily be picking the episode's central figure or right. even the person who like literally occupies a position of power at a given moment because that might be pretty limiting but right. you know who stayed on his or her horse during yes. this metaphorical joust that person each episode will claim our champion's purse and this episode's winner is a guy who is not gonna be winning a lot from here on out no after much deliberation no 
and Jason having to convince me that this was a sensible decision. Our winner is... Viserys Targaryen! This is crazy. No, it's not. Listen, here's the thing. Here's why it's not crazy. Uh, I know it seems crazy because Viserys is half crazy and he's an idiot, blah, 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 blah. Shadow of a snake. Shadow of a snake. He gets killed by molten gold getting poured on his head. His sister uh, beats him with a belt at one point. A lot of stuff goes down and tells you that uh, Viserys is not a good dude or particularly smart, um, though he's very driven. The important thing to remember is, from the outside looking in, uh, Viserys just swung a deal with the Dothraki, ostensibly foreign army. This is news that will reach Westeros, and when it does, will be of concern to Robert Baratheon and certain people in charge. We'll be like, oh, we need to keep our eyes on this. And this is something that um, Viserys has been working on, sort of, on and off. For his entire life. Yeah, sure. It's been the driving focus of his life, and he's achieved it. In this moment, he's achieved it. Beggar King. Spent his whole life begging. And here he is. (laughs) Now, he didn't uh, necessarily move all the pieces into into place, but uh, from an outside perspective... You'd have to you'd have to consider him. You'd have to put him in your formulation. Certainly, the lords in, of Westeros would have to would have to look at him, and Robert will have to consider him because yes, it's been nineteen years, but there are pockets of support for the Targaryens, uh, ostensibly. Um, Dorne, whose princess Elia was raped and murdered, would be certainly welcoming of a Targaryen revenge. There's uh, may, perhaps there's other places as well that would be happy to see Robert overthrown and the Targaryens placed back on the throne. So this is a move that will send ripples of concern out into the wider world. Yes, we know Viserys is an idiot, but listen, we're in the kind of, an idiot with a big personality (laughs) can rise pretty far. It's true. And imagine an alternate universe where Viserys has... Some political skill, a la Tywin Lannister, right? Yeah. <laughs> or even if he had taken the advice that we're going to see Danny give him over the course of this season about how to blend in with the Dothraki, how to get their respect. If, she, if he had listened to her, is there an alternate timeline where he, he gets the respect of the Dothraki, gets his army, um, becomes a player? You know, it was there for him. In this moment, it was there for him. He squandered it because he's an idiot. But I'm saying right now, and also, let's let's be real. This guy's going to die soon. <laughs> <laughs> got to give him a little, a little glory. Him, he's got to get a little shine right now. Yeah, he's walking around in those rotting silks. So maybe he can <laughs> yeah. take our champion's purse and buy yeah. some new garb. All yeah. right, well, on that super cheerful note, we will we will wrap Thank you guys for for listening and for embarking on this quest with us. One down, 59 to go. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today. We really hope that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 2, The King's Road. Until then, guys, remember, there is no word for thank you in Dothraki. We go home with an army, with Khal Drogo's army. I would let his whole tribe fuck you. All 40,000 men and their horses too, if that's what it took. 
Uh, Viserys, I was just asking what you're going to wear to the wedding. 